Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, of thy Greetings this Lord's Day in the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Greetings. I'm very glad to be in probably, not probably, my absolute favorite place to be, other than, of course, my home. It would be wrong for me to say that this is my favorite place other than there. Uh, but I love to be here. You know, it's a wonderful thing to be doing what God has called you to do and loving it all at the same time. And so when I look at all of you who are here today, uh, I'm reminded that when I was a 15-year-old boy, God called me, <clears throat> and I remember asking him what I should do, because I was 15, you know, you can't just pastor a church when you're 15, and, and uh, it seemed like the Lord put on my heart to prepare, and so I began to memorize scripture and I went to the Lord, I'm like, yeah, I can do that, but what else can I do? And I remember the Lord speaking in my heart to pray. And I said, well, how can I pray for people that don't exist, that I don't know? And he said, well, this is, you know, and you can laugh at your pastor if you want. God does talk to me, uh, and never out loud or anything, but, but it was like, just, just pray for people, pray Pray for a plumber or a carpenter or uh, a banker or whatever. And one day those people will be real. <clears throat> God has been so good to me to bring me and the rest of the team back from Myanmar once again. Before God called us to do this good work, I could have never really imagined what God has done through us in these past six years. I think it's almost seven now. What God does with what we give him is always a wonderful and inspiring thing. Amen? You know, we work and we do our best, but it's what God does that endures. Amen? So I'm going to be gone from the pulpit two weeks and come back and cry the whole time. That's probably what's going to happen. The singer king... David knew this so very well, for he saw how God did this in his life over and over again, even from the very beginning. This was what his life was, watching God take the little things that he had and do something great. Psalm 127, David said this, he said, Except the Lord build the house, they that labor. They labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city. The watchman waketh but in vain. That doesn't mean we don't sit on the wall and watch. And it doesn't mean that we don't apply our hands to the hammer and to all those tools Michael's been applying over at his house. It doesn't mean that we don't do that. Right, Michael? We do it. He said he works more in the last two weeks probably than he's ever worked in his whole life. Uh... It doesn't mean we don't do that, but unless the Lord is in it with us, it really doesn't matter what we do. Amen? It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. <clears throat> for he gives his beloved sleep. And I, you know, getting older, I think I understand what is going on in this psalm. He's like, you know why you can rest at night? 
isn't because the watchman's on the wall. Isn't because you've worked really, really hard that week. It's because God is watching. Amen? It's because God is working. And he moves on from a city and a house to our family. And he says, lo, you know, children are a heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb, they're God's reward to us. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them, and they shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Let us pray. Lord, we hear the words of Psalm 127, and we are reminded that we are not to put trust in flesh, in chariots, in horses, in power, but to trust in you. And Lord, we're so sinful that we keep relying on ourselves again and again. And you have to help us with that by allowing our flesh to fail us. Lord, I pray today as we gather, Lord, here, your weak and sinful people, Lord, so excited that you have invited us again to be in your presence. We come before you asking for forgiveness, which we know you will give us. We come listening for your voice, and we know that you will speak to us. And Lord, we come knowing that you will change us, that we will be different when we leave, that we might glorify you by the works that we do. In Christ's name we pray, and all of the church said, standing for just a moment as I read to you my text for my message today. My message is called, What is in Your Hand? My text is Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 1, and I'm just going to read a couple verses and we'll talk a little bit more about the rest of this in the body of the message. Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 2 And Moses answered and said, Behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they shall say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto Moses, What is that in your hand? And he said, A rod. Let us pray. Lord God, we pray for you today to speak to us plainly as you spoke to Moses. Lord, that we would hear your voice speaking to us. Lord, as you oftentimes do, you ask us questions that we need to answer. And I pray today that all of us would have an answer for what you ask us today. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Moses had just been called by God to deliver the children of Israel from slavery and tyranny. And as it is, when God calls men to do difficult things, Moses began to doubt himself. As he looked at himself, he was certain that he lacked what it would take to do the job that he was given. This is what we do. This is what many of you are going to do. When God calls you to do something or he asks you to do something, oftentimes we basically turn and we look at ourselves and we go... I can't do that. How how many can relate to this? God, you you know God wants you to do it. But then you stop and you go, oh, I can't do that. Now, that would be reasonable if God depended on you to do it. But that's not God. Amen? God isn't going, all right, let's see if he's tough enough to work this out. No, God looks at you from the very start and he realizes that you're not. Because if you were, who would get the glory for it? You would. That's what we like to do. We like to rely on our strength. We like to accomplish through our discipline, through our hard work. We like to do these things so we can be proud of them. God doesn't like proud people. In fact, God will not share his glory with those who try to assert themselves. As he looked at himself, he was certain that he lacked what it would take to get the job done. I'm not a leader. I I don't have a great speaking voice. They're not going to listen to me. I stutter. 
Now let's look a little more at the story from Exodus 4 and see what God would have to say to us today. So I read for you, Moses answered and said, Behold, they will not believe me. Who is his focus on? Everybody say his focus was on himself. They won't believe me. They will not hearken to my voice. Everybody say my voice. They won't believe me. Say believe me. Where's his focus? It's on him. They will not believe me. They will not hearken to my voice. They, they will say, the Lord hath not appeared to thee. Okay? They, they're not going to believe my vision. They're not going to believe what you said about, that you said to me. And the Lord said, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. Now, you, you, you have to, you've got to, when you read the Bible, you've got to read it like it really actually happened. Do you know why? Because it did. So imagine, Steve, God has said, I want you to deliver the children of Israel out of slavery. You're going to go into the greatest force on earth, and you're going to go, and even though you stutter, and even though you're wanted for murder, and even if, you know, if they figure out who you are, they're going to lock you up and kill you, uh, you've got to go anyway, and, you know... So God says, so what are you holding in your hand? You, you have to understand, this is crazy. This is crazy like in our way of thinking. So what do you got? I got a bell. You know? Oh, that, that's just what I needed. A bell. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you understand? So what's in your hand? I've got a rod in my hand. Whoop-de-doo. But the whoop-de-doo, this is the trick of the devil. We look at what's in our hand and we go, well, there's really nothing here but a bell. We look at it and we say, well, I really, I, I got a stick, you know. And you know what God says about whatever happens to be in your hand? Perfect. Why? Is it the bell? Is it the stick in your hand? I don't think so. Cast it on the ground. So he obeyed God and he did. And it became a serpent, and Moses ran. Now, he's been carrying around the stick, you know, which when I was in Myanmar, I, I, I got so bad off, I thought I was going to, like, die. I'm up in there, and then I'm like, why haven't I gotten a stick? Like, this is ridiculous, you know? So I'm like a mile up higher than the village up on this mountain, and I'm like, if I had a stick, when I'm coming down, at least I could slow myself down, you know? Whole time I'm there, I was carrying this dead stick around. I was actually literally thinking, I, I've never really needed a stick. Like, I... I've gone hiking and I get a stick, you know, like, cause it's kind of fun to kind of walk around and feel like you're somebody with a stick. I don't, is, am I the only guy in the world that does it? It's like, I got a walking stick. Like I'm not actually using it. Right. But now I'm like, okay, I need one. Like, like I may fall off this mountain if I don't have a stick because you know, you're coming down and it's like that and you're, and you're like going, you know, down the mountain and like, you know, my hips are like on fire, you know, and I'm like, this is killing me. Like I'm going to roll off this mountain and die. So I get this stick, and the stick is like helping me. <clears throat> so he's been carrying this around. It's been helping him. He's been using it. They, the, the kind of mountains that they walk up and down, they, a stick comes in handy. So this, you know, I don't think that there was any magical qualities to the stick. But so he throws it down, and it turns into a snake, and he takes off running. Wow! Well, I would. Snakes are scary stuff. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. Now, th- here's an act of faith. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know. All right. So he put forth his hand and he takes it by the tail and it becomes a rod. Whoa, this is kind of neat. Woo. Magic stick. <clears throat> that they may believe the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. Okay, so... If you remember, he's prepping him for what he's going to do later. When he appears before Pharaoh, what does he do? He throws the stick on the ground. And he's like, I got me a magic stick. He throws it on the ground, right? And then, but the bad thing has happened is that Moses' sorcerers, they could do the same thing. (laughs) Wow. But then God, the one that he had given Moses, eats the other ones. Remember this story, right? But he's prepping Moses for this, all right? So in verse 6, the Lord furthermore said, Now put your hand in your bosom. So, so put your hand, you know, he had, he had a robe of some kind on. He says, put it in there and bring it out. And when he brought it out, his hand was covered in leprosy, which was, was bad. You had to be kicked out of the camp. It was an incurable disease. It was horrible. 
So he's like, okay, now put it back, put it back in your bosom, come back out, boom. He's normal. So Moses is getting a picture, but I think it's, a ma- it's, it's interesting. First God asked him what was in his hand, right? And then God uses his what? His hand. And if you, if you heard uh, <clears throat> Jeff reading from chapter 14 of Exodus, you'll see that this is what God uses when they come to the Red Sea, right? Not only he says, I want you to take your staff and put it out, but I also want you to put your hand. And so God's using an empty hand, okay? And he's using a stick, all right? These are God's tools of great power. That's amazing to me. That God is using nothing in one hand and the other one less than nothing. I mean, a a dead stick is less than nothing. There's nothing about any dead stick, okay? So God has a question for us today. What is in your hand? Now, last Sunday, I felt the urging to ask the people of Pastor Nang's church the same question. And perhaps I needed to hear the question again because I I really did. I, I, I had a hard time. My last couple days in Myanmar, I got very discouraged. Um... You know, perhaps Benjamin needed to hear about it, or Rebecca, or Harrison needed to hear it again. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe we all needed to hear it. Maybe you need to hear it. Okay? Maybe you need to answer this question. Maybe you need to ask yourself this question. What is in my hand? Everybody say, what's in my hand? For Moses, the answer was a rod. Basically, a dead piece of wood. Nothing, really. It wasn't... Uh, an ancient magical staff rescued from the recesses of the labyrinth of traps and a dragon, you know, like we read about in, you know, Lord of the whatever or, you know, the 14 rings of the serpent or whatever, you know. It wasn't one of those, like, you know, after Indiana Jones, you know, gets in there and he, you know, then he finds the magic stick. Wow. You know. Nope. It was just a dead tree branch probably cut with a machete or whatever you know to watch these guys cut things with machetes is actually pretty amazing they just you know a tree like this big around they just go the whole thing comes down but that's how god works he doesn't need really much to work with in fact he doesn't need anything he doesn't even need us but when we give what we have in our hand to god no matter how insignificant it is he does wonders with it like he did for Moses. That's pretty simple, right? It's simple until it's us. It's simple until you're faced with a difficult thing that you can't seem how to deal with. And then God says, well, what do you have? What, you know, what, what do you have? I'll read for you what later happened with this. You know, Moses kind of graduated with this thing. You remember... It says in verse 14 of Exodus, or verse 10 of Exodus 14, when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes. The Egyptians marched after them. They were afraid. The children of Israel cried out, right? Don't be afraid, verse 13. The Lord's going to fight for you. Lift up your rod. Stretch out your hand. And so we see God takes it from turning it into a serpent. Now he's using it to part the Red Sea. That's amazing. Later, they're in the wilderness. And what does God do? They're thirsty. Take your rod and hit this rock. Remember that? This is what God does with the ordinary things we have. Ecclesiastes 9.10 asks this question, or says this thing. It says, whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. For there's no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where you go. You see, when Solomon wrote these words, no doubt he remembered how his father lived out these truths when he faced Goliath. He didn't have a sword. He didn't have armor. But you know what he did have? He had a cause. He saw something that needed to be done. He saw something that God had commanded them to do to drive these people out. Here's this guy standing there defying God. He saw that. See, this is, this is when, we, if you want to get turned around from looking at your own insignificance, 
Sometimes you've got to get your eye on a cause. Sometimes you've got to be standing in the middle of a village somewhere where these children don't have a dad, and they don't have moms, and they don't have money, and the villagers are killing their dogs and their chickens and coming and terrorizing them at night. And I'm just thinking, i got a 22-250. I will just I'll kill these men. I mean, what lower scum on the earth, Steve? That someone would come to orphanage and kill their little dogs and their chickens and they're half-starving anyway and steal their stuff. Low-down losers, right? And I'm like, you know what? And I was, I was angry. And, 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 and then I'm, I read my psalm for you today. And as I read Psalm 127, it says what? Unless the Lord, it says the watchman waketh but in vain, right? Unless the Lord does what? As I was there, I had to talk myself down from the ledge, Marie. I'm mad. I'm like, I want, I'm like, you know what? I need to move here and live here and hunt these people down and teach them a lesson. That the people of God don't tolerate this nonsense. I'm like, I'm going to get a trail cam. I'm going to find who this guy is. And I'm going to take a switch and I'm going to beat, beat him. And you go, now, Pastor Mark. Well, you know what? Maybe you're not like me. But I don't like it when people pick on little children. But you know what? I can't. You know what? I told the kids, I said, you know, if Pastor Mark brought his gun, I'd probably fall asleep in the middle of the night. And maybe that's when they'd come. Because God began reminding me that he's a God, Derek, that doesn't sleep. He cares about them and he watches them. And what happens oftentimes when you look at something that's bothering you, you just, you sort of have to look away because you can't deal with the fact that you can't do it. Right? Maybe you feel this way about your children. You know, Andy, you're thinking like, how am I going to raise these kids to be godly kids? How, how you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to earn money and I'm trying to do this. And, and like, am I spending time with them? Like, I, you know, I can't do this. You know, God, God may be dealing with some of you to get serious, to get, you, you maybe you watch some of these videos and you go, I want to do something. You go, well, you know, what I would do wouldn't be that much. Yeah, that's just what the devil wants you to be. All I got is a stick. All, I don't have a sword. All I have is a, is a little sling. Now, I have a whole lot more respect for slings after being in Myanmar and watching these guys. I, I've never seen anything like it. They could definitely kill somebody with these slings. We're like hanging out and we would go up there and I'm like, you know, hyperventilating and, and can't even breathe. And I finally get up there and I'm about ready to pass out. And they're like, oh, there's a bird. And they go take it off. And I've seen people with slingshots, but I've never seen people like deadly accurate killing little birds with slingshots. I've never seen anything like it. And they're just killing one. And they take, they take mud and they roll it in these little balls and they dry it in the sun. And they got these like hard as rock mud balls and these slingshots that look like they couldn't do anything. And they're killing things with them. They told me they'd killed a deer with them before. <laughs> they don't know that what they have isn't as good as my 22250. They just got what they got. See, go, David didn't have a sword, right? So you know what he did? After he knocked him out, he picked up the giant sword and cut his head off with it. That's what we got to think. What do we go? Well, you know what? There's a cause here. I, I don't have anything, but I got this little stupid sling. I, I'm throwing it right at the giant. He needs to die. He's defying the children of Israel. You can stand by and be scared with your swords and you tough guys if you want, but I'm mad about it. He, he was more focused on the cause than he was on his lack. But the, that's what the devil wants us to do. I was telling the people in Myanmar, and I'll tell you about it. I said, and, uh, and, and they, have, they have money over there that's so ridiculously small. Like, for $1, it's 1,300 chat, okay? So, Benita, they have a thing that's 50 chat. So, it's smaller than a penny, okay? Or I don't know what it is. It's worth hardly nothing. And I had one of those in my pocket, you know? And, and I said, and I held it up. And, uh... You go, what can you do with that? Can't do anything with that, you know? Nothing. And I said, and the devil wants you to keep it in your pocket because it can't do anything. And I'm holding it up and I'm walking around with it, you know? But then I remembered a story. I remembered a story about a widow woman that came to the temple. Mm -hmm. 
know what she could have said, Steve? Why, what's that going to do? The, 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 the Ark of the Covenant's made of gold. My little nothing is going to do something. But instead of listening to the devil, what did she do? She came in the temple. She didn't have trumpets. She wasn't calling attention to herself. And I was joking around with these people. And me, I remember like some guy came and he dropped his one leg, which is, you know, a million chat, you know, hundred bucks. <laughs> and another guy came and he dropped 50,000 chat. Yeah. And then this little widow woman who no one was watching, who could have been tempted to think that what she had wouldn't do anything. And what did it do? It altered the course of history. And you and I are talking about it 2,000 years later. And you go, how is that possible? <laughs> I'll tell you how it's possible. Because Jesus pointed it out. He, he noticed it. God notices what you have. You, you might be here and you say, well, what I have is it nothing. Yeah, it, he, you're right. What you have is nothing compared to what God has. What you have isn't going to meet the need. What you have isn't going to do anything as long as you keep it. As long as it stays in your pocket. As long as when God says to throw it on the ground, you don't. As long as when God says to lift it out over the Red Sea, you don't. Nothing's going to happen. It's no magical stick. But whatever you do have in your hand, I believe God is challenging you and me here today to ask ourselves, what is it that we do have, not what do we don't? Or not, what do we have and is, can it do anything? That's what we want to do. It can, it can do nothing. Because we're Calvinists, we might be tempted to become fatalistic. And, and honestly, as your pastor, I'm going to fight you about this. Because if you're coming to that conclusion and you go, well, what's being fatal? Fatalistic is this, you know. Sam, you say, well, you know what? It doesn't really matter if I reach the laws. It doesn't really matter if I do this or I do this. Because God's going to just have his way anyway. God's going to save the heathen if he wants to save the heathen. And, you know, God's going to help these people. I'm not going to get all worked up about it. I'm telling you, that is not God speaking to you. That's the devil. Because the devil wants you to keep your staff in your hand. The devil wants you to keep your might in your pocket. Your devil wants you to look at the, the, the sling in your hand and see that, well, that's not going to get... He's nine feet tall. If I throw this at him, nothing's going to happen. He's got a spear that weighs more than my, one of my brothers. He's covered in armor. I mean, anywhere I hit him, it's just going to bounce off. That's what the devil wants you to do. Look at things and see that they're difficult. See that they're impossible. See what you have is powerless and useless and just keep it. That's what he wants you to do. You know what I've learned, Benita? God has this other plan for us. And if you can understand this, you're going to be doing what... You know, I can't believe it. Steve, I'm standing in the middle of an orphanage between two buildings that I built. Next to a well that I built. Next to children who are wearing clothes that I bought. And I say, I, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, God used this church. God used you. God used Josh and Jonathan and, and all you guys that have worked. You know, the... Brownfields, the people of this church, Michael Elliott. Michael, when you, your gift would come every month, and you know, uh, I would think, wow, I can't believe they're sending something. I know their church is not supporting them, and, and I know this, and, and it just touched my heart. But you know, I'm glad you didn't keep it in your pocket, brother. God uses our little things. And those things. But I'm there and I'm discouraged and God's having to go, what are you discouraged about? You know, they tore their fence down and I'm mad about it because I bought a fence for them and I'm like, I got to get more money for another fence. And the well that we dug, the water is now salt water seeping up inside of it and they can't really use it to do much with. They, even if they boil it, it's really gross so they can't cook with it and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, ugh, ugh. I go up and there is a spring and it's up on this hill, but it's like solid rock, you know, and I'm like, we'll get dynamite, you know, we'll blow it out. 
And I'm, I'm looking around Andy and I'm going, if I had a mattock and a shovel, and then I'd like, yeah, I'd probably rip my arm off and do nothing and hit rock and be discouraged. And then I'd be laying on the ground going, <laughs> I'm like that. I can't stand it. I'm looking at, I'm like, there's a spring. It's full of water. It's up on the hill. And, and, and Jason, there's some elevation. I'm telling you, if you and me and a pick and see, I'm like, yeah. And you know what God keeps saying to me? You know what? If I wanted there to be perfect water in that well, there'd be water in that well. If, you, if I want to send you money to build a cistern for these people, it'll, it'll happen. You need to chill out, man. We need to not be fatalistic. We need to say, all right, God, what I have isn't much, but I'm giving it to you. Like the widow woman. Here, here you go, God. This is all I've got. And Jesus goes, whoa. Hey, guys, check it out. Watch this. Let me show you what God's watching. See this woman right here? She just gave more than everybody else. Wow. We want to be the rich guy. We want to be the guy who lays down the big money and does the big thing. That's what we want to do. And God goes, there's only one big guy. And it's me. Give your might and watch a mighty God work. That's what God is saying to us. The devil wants you to keep what you have. He wants you to think your efforts aren't going to matter. That they're insignificant and meaningless. He wants you to think about how little you have or what you don't have. You know, God hasn't called us to do what others can do. Did you hear that scripture I read earlier? It says, whatsoever your hand find to do, do it with all of your might. Well, you know, I mean, I'm not a salesman like Steve Foise. I mean, he can do that kind of thing. So what do you do? You don't ask anybody. You know? Well, you know, I mean, I, I'm going to run in that race and, you know, you know, no one will probably sponsor me. That's what the devil, he'd love for you to think like that. Zechariah, what he said was true. It's not by might. It's not by power. But by my spirit, saith the Lord. This is as true as it ever has been. We've been working through the life of Jesus And from the story of Elijah who asked the widow woman to take the little bit of flour she had. Remember that? Take take what you have and make me a cake first. Can you even imagine, Amy, could you imagine asking somebody who's on the verge of starving to take what little they have and make some food for you? What if she hadn't done that, Luke? What if she had said, hey, buddy, move on? What do you think? You think we'd be reading about her today? No? Okay. So she makes the little cake. And then she was able to feed her whole village. Remember all that? These are the stories of the Bible. Pour me a little oil. Oh, yeah. Now the oil never runs out. Just fill, She's filling everybody's. Go gather the, the, you know. As we've been working through the story of Jesus, if you read in Mark 6 and John 6, remember how, the, how God was wanting to try Philip and... There's all these people, there's 5,000 people around and he's like, hey, you know, we should, we should take, we should feed these people. And they're like laughing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. We'll do that. I'm saying you guys have had a hundred people over your house because you're part of this church and that's kind of a thing we do. Imagine if Josh, imagine if 5,000 people showed up and I said, we'll just feed them. You'd be like, yeah, right. Right. Sure. Sure. I'll just, you know, I'll do that. So, but if you remember the story, Philip and the other people were there. They didn't look at what they had. They looked at what they what, what they didn't have. Well, well if, if we had 10,000 denarii, we couldn't do that or, or however much it was. And Jesus did something. He said, um, he said, well, how many do you have? And they said, well, we'll go check. I mean... You know, it's like, imagine Steve, 5,000 people are coming to your house and you're like, listen, Hey, we don't, we don't have enough to feed these people. I'm like, well, what do you have in there? Sure. I'll go check my freezer. (laughs) It's probably in there, right, Elaine? Yeah. And of course there was a little boy who was too stupid to know that it really wasn't going to matter. And he offers up his fish 
and his loaves. Can you see where this is in the Bible over and over and over and over and over? So many times that we just got to be reminded about it today. And you know what the disciples said about what the little lad had? He goes, what are these among so many? That's really a good question. What are they? What is what you have among all the great needs of all these people everywhere? I mean, if I start unloading on you all the things that I'm carrying around. But see, I I probably am preaching this for me. Because I'm I'm like, oh Lord, I'm just overwhelmed. And I don't know where to start. And I don't know what to do. And I, you know, it's like, well, you know, you didn't before either. You couldn't even afford to get there. And now you go every year. And now you're bringing your children. And now other people are coming. And now doctors are coming. And you're building buildings and buying cars. and Like, do you remember those days, Mark? And I'm like, oh, yeah. I guess you did do that. But we're just like it. You know, God parts the Red Sea. And we're on the other side going, but I'm thirsty. Well, we're going to die. There's no food. There's all these people out here. What are we going to do? God's like, did you forget the plagues? Did you forget the parting of the Red Sea? Did you forget the floating Egyptians? Uh, did you forget that, that there's a pillar covering the sun so you don't get sunburned? Did you forget the fact that there's an angel going before you, that there's this devouring fire of God keeping you warm at night? Yeah, but I'm hungry. There's a lot of people here. And I don't know. I don't think, I don't think there's enough food for us. Right? That's us. Folks, we're the most blessed, most rich most overflowing abundant people on the whole planet earth and we look at what we have as though we have nothing pastor nang tong was wearing a loincloth in a village 600 miles away from civilization where they'd never seen a car and god sends him to yangon to preach he's got no food He explained this to me, which is really funny, Andy. He's like, there's nowhere to hunt in Yangon, okay? (laughs) Like, who would even think about it like that, right? He never thought he could ever have any money. What's money? He never even seen any money, you know? So he's like, there's nowhere to hunt. I can't hunt and build fires in Yangon. Like, what am I going to do? People in the village are like, yeah, you're going to starve to death in that village. They couldn't even conceive of a Yangon. Millions of people in cars and whatever. They, they, you know. So he goes there and he doesn't have anything to eat and he doesn't have anyone to help him. He doesn't know anybody there. But this is an amazing story. Part of my purpose is to, that I went this year was to try to understand them. And I'm telling you, the more I understand about them, I'm seeing this. Instead of going, oh, I'm in a loincloth and, you know... Uh, I don't know anybody and there's nothing, nothing I can hunt in Yangon. Instead, he just goes. And he finds a place somewhere that's empty and abandoned and he goes there and he prays. Do you know that's his home today? Do you know his home is paid for and it's worth about a half a million dollars? You guys know this about Pastor Man? You might go, well, he should sell it. That's what he ought to do, Andy. Sell it and move to America. And he'd have more money than all the rest of us. Wouldn't that be neat? Now, my wife, I can tell by the look in her eyes, she's like, oh, you shouldn't tell people that. You know what? God has given this man who has nothing so much. Now, he can't mortgage it. He can't insure it. And if he sold it, he would have a Bible school and a ministry and anywhere for his family to live. And that'd probably be fine with all of you because then you wouldn't have to worry about him anymore. But I've realized that a God has called me to help a man who's far richer than me. I'm trying to explain to this. I go to their village. If you saw how they lived, it could hurt you. But they have 300 head of cattle. And they have about 10,000 acres they own. Is that, does anybody have that, those kind of personal law? <laughs> Liam does. <laughs> you know what Pastor Nick told me this year? He goes, he goes I pray one day, Mark. He goes, that I will be able to support you and your family. We look at ourselves and we see what we don't have. Now, the truth is, I'm way richer than he is. I live in America and I have opportunity and I have friends and we have freedom and people aren't trying to kill me every day. 
God hasn't called. If God called me to downtown Yangon, you know where I would be right now? In downtown Yangon. I wouldn't be able to speak Burmese. The government would be after me. I'd be calling y'all for help. Pray for me is what I'd say. Pray for me. They're killing me and I have no food. You know, hoping that maybe you got the clue. You know, hey, you know, you could send a little, it'd be great. But he found a little place and he began to pray at this place. And as he prayed at the place, the people around there were superstitious. And they'd been praying to Buddha and all kinds of things. And they're like, they're like, well, you know what? There's, we're not getting better at the doctor. We're not getting better at Buddha. Maybe this guy's got some magical mojo or something. And they're like, maybe we'll see if he'll pray for us. So they go there and these sick people are showing up. And he's in, they're like, we've been watching him. He's like praying in that house all day long on Wednesdays. So they will you pray for me, Pastor? And he's like, sure. And he prays for them. And God heals them of whatever's wrong with them. And they're like, oh. And they're like, we want to give you money. Well, Pastor Nate knows the Bible, Luke. You don't pay people for the healings God provides. And he told him, he said, no, no, no. In the Bible, you don't, you don't do that. And, he, you know, and they're like, well, whatever. He said, next thing you know, there are bags of rice are showing up on my porch. And I'm like, where'd they come from? And chickens are walking around his property. He doesn't know. And all of a sudden, he gets so much food, so much rice, so many chickens, so much stuff that people back in... 600 miles away in Chin State who are starving up there are going, hey, maybe we'll come to Yangon. Maybe we'll send our children there who, are, who we're afraid are going to starve to death. And they do. That's, that's the start of the Bible college. That's the start of the orphanage. That's the start of the ministry. Faith of a man in a loincloth who can't understand city life, who's never, heard, never you know, seen anything like this, taking what he has, what did he have? A calling... What could he do? Pray. And he spent two of the last Christmas Eves at the home of the vice president of his nation. He's placed, he is, he is the head of something. I don't even know what it's called, but it's, a, it's about preserving religious liberty in his country. We were there and a bunch of crazy stuff happened and people are all running around. He's like, I got to take care of something. And it was the brother of the vice president coming for some help from Pastor Nang. I'm like, brother, you think maybe they could slide you a little dough? Like, you know, what, you know? No, no, you know. Well, some interesting things are happening along those lines. You see, you know, the way we are, we, we get to looking at their needs and we're like, well, let's start them a business and let's do this and let's do that. Well, I didn't know there was a law in their country that you're not allowed to be a business person and be a Christian pastor. Do you know that? It's against the law in their country. I even messed them up by building them the house in a sense that they're not allowed to have orphans in their house. Now they have a house, and so they had to put the orphans somewhere else. Good things and blessings, but maybe just maybe understanding might have helped a little bit. God takes what we have, no matter what it is. And for me personally... I've seen this over again, and I need to be reminded of it, that God will do what He wants. And that He will do it through us. And if, he's, and if we don't cooperate, He'll just do it through somebody else. I could complain. I could be overwhelmed. Or I could say, well, what do I have? What can I do? Our whole church cause is not Myanmar, but I just got back, so it's all right if I talk about it a little bit. I try actually not to talk about it too much because it's something I really feel called to. Personally, I don't feel called to move there, live there. I have no desire to do that. Uh, well, I don't, whether I had a desire or not, I don't feel the calling to do it. If I, if I felt like God wanted me to, even if I hated it, I would go, honey, looks like you're probably going to die of malaria or something. And uh, let's go. And she'd go, okay, I think. And she always has in the past. Colossians chapter 3 says, And whatsoever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Who do we serve? We serve Him. What our hands finds to do, we should do it the best we can. And you know what, Luke? The best we can is good enough. And the little we have is enough. And if we could remember that, we wouldn't find ourselves being discouraged so often 
overwhelmed so often. And maybe none of you are. Maybe it's just me. I'm just a big ball of emotions. I feel overwhelmed. When I see need and... I'll tell you, if you want to see something, and I think Harrison, I think it was getting Harrison bad. There are these road crew people. Have I told you guys about the road crew people? The road crew people will hurt you by looking at them. Every year I see them, I'm in pain. Like, I'm, I'm literally like, this can't, what I'm seeing cannot be real. And then year after year after year, I see these people. And last year I got out and I had to spend a little time with them, talking to them. Because I just couldn't take it anymore. But Harrison's song, you know, now this year it wasn't hot. Normally when we go, it's like you can't even hardly breathe, it's so hot. And you go, Michael, and they're, they're, they're always repairing all the roads. The entire country, the roads are being repaired all the time. Piles of gravel everywhere, whatever. And these, this road crew, the way that they make asphalt is they have a 55-gallon drum, which they by hand, you know, and some tool whack the thing and open it up the side of it. They pour asphalt in there and they build a fire underneath it and they create liquid asphalt and they get these little plates about this big and they're in the 100 degree weather and they're out there with fires, they're melting the asphalt, it stinks and they're taking uh, cups that you would drink out of basically and dipping the asphalt like with their hand and they're pouring it on the road and the people are walking with little pans and they're uh, carrying gravel and they're throwing it on the road and you're going, certainly not. Certainly, certainly not. If you've been to Myanmar and you've seen this, raise your hand. Yeah. Over and over and over. And, and you know what I keep thinking, Andy? I'm thinking, they don't know. They don't know that they could work for Chick-fil-A on Stringtown Road. But They could. They could. They don't know that they can attend our church and live. They don't know it, but they could. Some of these little beautiful people, I'm like, I'm like men would marry these girls and, 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 you know, they could live the good life. But they're going to be on this road crew, Tim, their whole life. And they're going to be shoveling asphalt and they don't even know. Now, maybe that doesn't bother you. Maybe he's like, hey, you know what? Their life's happy. <laughs> But I think God would turn this around on us today and go, you know what? I don't think you know what you could have in Christ if you knew what you could have. We live our lives and we're shoveling gravel and throwing it on a road and we're melting asphalt. That's kind of what our life is. And God's going, you know, you can have so much more. But what you want to do is you think you don't have anything to offer and you think what you do isn't going to be enough and so you just keep it. God says, give and it shall be given unto you. You go, well, our church gives a lot. You know what? I think you could give more. I think you could do more. I think you could take what you have, and I think you could do great things with it. I know that you already have, but you could do more of it. God is saying, there's more for you. If you cannot look at what you have as being nothing, and you can give it. This is not, you know, we're not taking offering up, or I'm not trying to raise money for Myanmar. I'm telling you, it's a way of life. What do you have? Luke, I've been blessed to watch you say, what do I have? Well, I can draw and stuff. I'll go over there and I'll draw and whatever I can do. What can I do? Well, I can watch kids play basketball. I can do that. And that's what I can do. That is how great things happen in the kingdom of God. Either we're too stupid, Luke, or, or we have faith or whatever. I don't know, but you do it. You just do. What, what can I do? You know what? Going over there. They're not going to turn away. They won't even let us get near those people. I'm just going to quit going. No, just go. Benita, I sat in the board meeting. I was telling my wife, I'm like, I'm like, I don't know that Benita knows how important she is to the people at the greater Columbus right to life. She probably feels like she knows this much. But they're over there. Yeah, she's like, you know, they're like talking about Benita like she's there eight hours a day, every day. I'm serious. The way they're talking about you, I'm thinking, I, I need to talk to Benita. I'm like, has she quit her job or something, you know? But you know what? Benita, that little that you're giving, okay, is big to those people. And many of you could give what she does toward that, but you go, well, I can never be there, and I don't know. And so you don't do it at all. 
Don't listen to the devil. We had a lot of fun in Myanmar. But at the same time, there's a lot that needs to be done there. All around us, there's needs everywhere. At the abortion mill, you know, in politics, in your neighborhood, reaching the lost, the community center. What's the name of that place in London? The, the Proctor Center. There's need everywhere. But what we do, what we're tempted to do is say what we are going to do, what we have to offer isn't much. And we keep it. God will ask us all the question today. He keeps asking me. I need to be reminded that what's in my hand is enough. I don't know what you need to be reminded of. But I need to be reminded that what I've got is enough. Foundation Church is enough. Living the life I live with what goes on in my house and my life, it's enough. I worry about my children and God says, it's enough. You know, get them to the table. Read the Bible to them. Pray with them. Love them. Do your best. God does the... God does the rest. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for speaking to us today. Lord, I pray that we are so challenged by this that we take that might in our pocket and we put it in your hand. That we take that dead stick in our hand and we obey you and we throw it on the ground. Lord, I pray that when a need comes, that instead of seeing what we don't have, we say, well, here's what I have. I've got, I've got this. God, give us your eyes. Help us to see things the way you do. Lord, I pray that you inspire the children here and the adults to give themselves fully to your work, to your kingdom, to reaching the lost, to helping our brothers and sisters in Myanmar. Lord, help us all to do what you've called us to do and not be afraid, knowing that it is not by might and it is not by power, but it is by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.